seated. For any kids that may not have found their way out, Children's Church is happening, kindergarten up through grade four, so you can go to that if you haven't already. I don't read owner's manuals as a general rule. I'm interested, who reads the owner's manuals? Raise your hand, the people that, okay, a few of you, a few of you, some, Rich is a little unclear sometimes, sometimes not. I prefer to figure out things on my own. The exception is anytime I'm putting together one of those modular pieces of furniture from Ikea or Legos. I don't hate myself enough to try to figure that out on my own. For the most part, my avoidance of owner's manuals is not a problem. Manufacturers have gotten really good at de designing intuitive products that you can mostly figure out on your own. Every once in a while, I do learn my no instruction manual approach means that I am missing out on some function, some capacity that I don't realize something I own has. This happened recently. I was, I was online doing something and this video popped up. It was a video of Ryan Seacrest from live with Kelly and Ryan, the morning talk show. And it was a video of Ryan Seacrest explaining something that he had learned about his smartphone recently. So if you have a smartphone and you're trying to send a text, I know you guys aren't gonna be able to see this, and you're sending your text, right? You're doing stuff here. If you hold down the space bar, I know you guys can't see that, it makes it like a cursor that you can move it all around the smartphone screen. Now, I did not know that you could do this. Most of you probably did realize you could do this, but it's really helpful when you're trying to edit an email or edit a text, especially if you're like me and you do the voice to text thing and it comes up with all, sort of all sorts of crazy stuff that you didn't say. Now, if you're confused about what I'm saying and you don't understand how to use this function on your smartphone, feel free to grab me after the service. But the point I'm trying to make is not about smartphones in particular. The point I'm trying to make is that sometimes I realize something that already belongs to me is capable of more than I'm utilizing it for. Christianity is one of these things. It is underutilized more often than not. Christians fail to take full or even partial advantage of the capabilities of our faith. And this leads to a lot of frustration. Sometimes it can feel like Christianity isn't working as it should, but the real issue is operator error. Today's verses focus on one significant area of error. Let's Turn to 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. We will read it through verse 11. That, those verses can be found on page 897 in your pew Bible. They'll also be on the screen behind me. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Grace is one of the most basic building blocks of Christianity. C.S. Lewis once said that grace is how Christianity differs from every other religion. Christians talk about grace a lot. Despite all this talk, we frequently fail to utilize the full implications of grace. We don't use it as it was intended. We vacillate back and forth between abusing grace and ignoring it. Grace properly understood and applied is capable of more than we can even imagine. It changes who we are and how we live. Christians have the grace of God at our disposal. He has given it to us through Jesus Christ. He wants us to use that grace to change so that we can be righteous as he is. In today's verses, Paul asked, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is stated as a question, but the answer is supposed to be obvious. The way the people who identify as Christians in Corinth are living indicates they might not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. At least some of them are living like righteousness doesn't really matter. They don't live any differently from their neighbors. Paul gives a list of behaviors that he knows or at least strongly suspects are happening among Christians. We could go into a description of the types of behaviors each of the terms he uses involves. I don't think the specifics are really the main point here. They're important, but they're not the main point. A general disposition to not taking sin seriously is the issue. There are people in the church operating under the assumption that they are good to go. Their future has been assured. Since this is the case, they may as well do what they want, what pleases them in the present. Every once in a while, you will hear in the news about a diplomat that gets caught doing some crime. Apparently, there was a big issue for years and still is in New York City of diplomats not paying parking tickets. They just park wherever they want because nobody can enforce any laws on a diplomat. Mostly this is not a problem, but it does get abused periodically. Last April, the wife of the Belgian ambassador to South Korea was caught slapping 
the employee of a shop across the face on video after the employee of that shop tried to make sure the wife was not shoplifting. Someone with diplomatic immunity that uses that immunity to commit a crime in the country they are supposed to be acting as a diplomat in doesn't get what being a diplomat is supposed to be about. Anyone who claims to be a Christian that shows no concern for righteousness is missing out on a key component of what Christianity is supposed to be about. Diplomats that abuse their diplomatic immunity will eventually lose the title of diplomat. A person that claims to be a Christian that has no interest in righteousness should lose that title as well. It's not hard to find people in the United States that claim to be Christians who have a very permissive attitude about unrighteousness. There are reasons for this, good and bad. The main positive reason is that Christians believe in grace. We believe that God is willing to forgive whatever unrighteousness a person perpetuates. The negative is that there are a lot of people that just want to be able to live in whatever fashion they prefer while still thinking of themselves as Christians. Within American Christianity, grace often ends up getting used as an excuse for living like an unrighteous libertine. Some of you might be wondering, what, wait, what's a libertine? Dictionary.com tells us a libertine is a person, especially a man, who behaves without moral principles or a sense of responsibility. It, is, it used to be much more common back in the 1800s, but its use has dropped off tremendously. The word sounds like the description Jane Austen would have used in Pride and Prejudice for Mr. Darcy. Our culture's movement away from words like libertine reflects our lack of positive focus on righteousness. We recognize the downsides of interacting with righteousness in an unhealthy way without realizing that grace can also be interacted with in an unhealthy way. Grace is not the issue any more than unrighteousness is, or any more than righteousness is, excuse me. Problems arise when we ignore the full implications of grace. Imagine with me for a minute that you know someone with a history of alcoholism that is able to receive a liver transplant. And you're, you're in town and, and you see them walk out of a liquor store and they've got a case of beer in each hand. You're like, hey. What's up? And they tell you how glad they are that now that they have a new liver, they can drink just like they used to. You'd be horrified. 
They're missing the point of having a new liver. Someone sacrificed so they could live. They are using that new life to make the same mistakes they already made. This would be a disgusting waste of the second chance they have been granted. Like a new liver, grace is restorative. Humans were made in the image of God, created to be like him, given the authority to rule creation. Sin took our, our capacity to be like God and to be his representatives. Grace restores the functionality that sin took away. Grace addresses who we are. At the same time, it points us forward to who we are supposed to be. Our ambition should be to be God's righteous image bearers as was intended. Grace restores not just our capacity for righteousness, but our calling to righteousness. It is reasonable to question the grasp any Christian has on grace that doesn't desire righteousness. We are given grace not so we can live a life without consequences, but so that we can fully experience a new life of righteousness. The grace of God should result in righteousness. Paul writes, And such were some of you, referring to the sins he had listed, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In the past, the people Paul is writing to were guilty of many of the behaviors that disqualify a person from the kingdom of God. They did things they shouldn't have done. They were sexually immoral. They were greedy swindlers. They reviled which means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. We know about such behaviors. Our world is filled with reviling, swindling, and sexual immorality. What the believers in Corinth were in the past is actually not the present problem, though. At other places, Paul talks about how he participated in the persecution and murder of Christians before he was a believer. While that is not an ideal backstory, it is no longer who he is. Paul is not his past, neither is any other Christian, neither are those in Corinth to whom he is writing. They have been washed, sanctified, and justified. Those who have experienced grace are no longer the people they were in the past. Those prior situations do not define them. The spiritual costs have been paid. God has sovereignly done for them what they could not do for themselves. This is all supposed to be past tense. The present is a new reality. The past is only a memory. 
In the present, every Christian is called to live out the righteousness gifted to them by God through Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Righteousness is not some terrible burden. Many people today have a negative association with righteousness. It sounds, it sounds kind of boring and unpleasant. I think much of the problem is that so much of what has been modeled to people as righteousness is actually just legalism. There are similarities between legalistic people and righteous people. The, the Venn diagrams do overlap. They may avoid similar activities, for instance. The difference between a legalistic person and a righteous one is their hearts. A legalistic person tries to follow every rule to impress others, while a righteous person's actions are the result of a heart that has been changed. You know what I've never experienced? I don't, I don't think they exist. A legalistic person that I enjoy being around. I don't, I don't think they exist. They are unpleasant. They make me feel judged. I think they make me feel judged because they are judging me. I think that's why I feel judged. Don't confuse the self-righteousness of a legalistic person with the real righteousness that springs from a heart that has been washed in the blood of Christ. A righteous life is what we should all desire with our whole heart. It is the best life. One of my favorite verses in scripture, I think I've said this even pretty recently, but it's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Those verses state, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is a description of what righteousness looks like in practice. I want my life to exhibit those virtues. Love. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that sounds amazing. Imagine how it would feel to have all those gifts in abundance. If anyone claims to be a Christian, who claims to be a Christian, shows no desire for righteousness. It indicates there is some sort of disconnect from grace. There are basically two possible explanations for a person that claims to be a Christian who exhibits no desire for righteousness. One is that they were never a Christian in the first place. Most everyone has had someone they care about who once claimed to be a Christian that has now walked away from faith to live an immoral life. 
They lifted their hands as high as anyone when the praise band was singing. In Bible studies, they showed great insight. They then walked away from all things faith-related. We cannot say with certainty what happened to such people. It may be they are just running from the Lord. It may be they were never Christians to begin with. It is possible they are those Jesus references in the parable of the seed. God's truth never really took root in their heart. For a time it appeared it had, but eventually the cares of this life overwhelmed it. When people consistently indicate they are not Christians through showing no interest in righteousness, at some point, we have to take them at face value, even if we continue to hope that we're wrong. The second option for those who show no desire for righteousness is that they are Christians who have temporarily been seduced by the lies of the world. Battles are happening in their heart between grace and sin. We don't necessarily see these battles on the outside. All that we can see is that sin seems to be winning. The guy I was best friends with in high school went through a period where I would have felt confident betting that he was not a Christian. We grew up in the same church together, going on the same retreats and mission trips. Then he spent the entirety of his 20s showing no discernible sign he had any faith while giving plenty of really convincing evidence to the contrary. He eventually repented and returned to belief. He could only run from God for so long. All Christians go through periods where they flee from God and embrace unrighteousness. It may only last a short time, but it happens in a small way every time we choose unrighteousness instead of righteousness. When it happens, we need to remember what the grace we have been shown has made possible for us. We must avoid unrighteousness becoming habitual. This involves rejecting those worldly lies. We are not sinners, but saints. Unrighteousness promises satisfaction. It can never deliver. We must focus on the truth. We have been washed. The righteousness available to us is good. It is good for us. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have made Christians new. We had no ability to heal ourselves. God chose to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. There is so much more righteousness available to us because of grace than what we have utilized. 
it is available to us in the present. We can be what Scripture tells us we already are. Grace and righteousness are not opposites. They feed into one another synergistically. Unearned grace makes righteousness possible. The more we take advantage of grace through righteousness, the more grace we will experience. The Christian faith is often underutilized. It's capable of more. I don't want to fail to take full advantage. Not knowing the space bar on my smartphone could act as a cursor caused me a lot of frustration with the device until Ryan Seacrest stepped in and set me straight. How well I take advantage of grace for the purpose of growing in righteousness will determine the course of my life to a huge extent. It will do the same for you. I don't want to realize 20 years down the road or at the end of my time on this earth that I failed to utilize grace for righteousness. I think there are a lot of Christians out there not using grace as it was intended. They existed in the church in Corinth and they exist today. The grace of God properly utilized will result in righteousness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have shown your grace to us so that we can be righteousness, so that we can be righteous, that you have incorporated us into your kingdom, that you have given us everything we need to be the image bearers you have made us to be and called us to be, I pray that we would continue to seize hold of your grace and that in doing so, we would attain the righteousness that is possible through that grace, Lord. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.